This is the J. Scott Outdoors podcast on Western big game hunting and fishing, and I'm your host, J. Scott. I live and breathe hunting and fishing, spending half the year in the field enjoying God's creation. I hope you'll enjoy hearing about our adventures. Welcome to the J. Scott Outdoors podcast. Uh, today we have a real special show. I've got uh, two real good friends of mine that I've known for quite a long time. And uh, I hold these guys in high regard. I've got Mike Hancock and Daniel Franco. Uh, they own and operate, co-own and operate, uh, Burnt Timber Outfitters. Uh, Mike and Daniel are uh, very, very good at elk uh, guiding, elk hunting, uh, all sorts of hunting, to be honest with you. Mule deer, coos deer, turkey, they're turkey slayers, uh, They've uh, been born and raised in Units 3C and Unit 1 and, and uh, you know, uh, 3A, 4B. They know all that rim country real well. But their specialties are three, Unit 3C and uh, Unit 1, and it's uh, just great to have uh, you two guys. Mike and Daniel, how are you doing? Doing good. How are you doing, Jay? Just fine. Uh, what kind of moisture uh, did you get out of this last storm up there, and what are the you know, how's it looking uh, as far as for 2015 for elk? We're uh, starting to, you know, get elky down here. What are you thinking? Well, this last storm, we didn't get uh, a lot of snow. It was a pretty warm storm, so we uh, got mostly rain. We did get quite a bit of rain. Um, uh, I was actually out uh, just a couple of days ago right after that rain and uh, was, was pretty shocked at the amount of moisture, the amount of running water that I saw in the unit, which is... Uh, was kind of surprising. Um, the ground seems to be pretty saturated. Uh, it's not frozen, so it's really soaking in, um, getting uh, a lot of good moisture um, down in. We're we're starting to see uh, the grass green up quite a bit. Uh, with, so you are you are getting some uh, green up already. We are. Yeah, there's 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 some pretty good patches of green coming up, um, which you know is is kind of perfect timing for the elk. They're they're just uh, starting to shed their antlers, so. Uh, they're going to have pretty dang good feed uh, going into the beginning of their antler growth process. Uh, turkeys are going to start feeding on that green grass, and they're going to start gobbling here pretty quick. So we're uh, we're pretty excited have, for the spring. Have you guys actually found any browns on the ground yet, or or is it just imminent and it's days away? Uh, I haven't even been out to be honest with you yet. Um, I try not to go out too early, but it's. Uh, I've heard a few people um, say that they found some. They're kind of just hit and miss. Um, I was out last uh, last Friday and saw some bulls that were were still packing. Nothing nothing overly big, but a couple of couple of small six points and and some smaller bulls that were still still carrying their antlers. So it's it's a you know matter of a typically a couple of weeks to to a, a month between now and then they'll they'll all hit the ground. So. Gotcha. Gotcha. And so um, uh, just for my listeners, uh, Daniel has been talking so far. That's Daniel Franco. And Daniel uh, uh, Daniel was born and raised in Heber, Arizona. Daniel, why don't you give me a little background on you and then I'll kind of introduce Mike and he can uh, give a little background on uh, on him and, you know, um, where he grew up and uh, what have you. All right. Well, as uh, as you mentioned, I was uh, born and raised in the thriving metropolis of Heber, Arizona, population seven. 
<laughs> and uh, pretty small town, um, kind of right on top of the Mogollon Rim between Payson and Cholo, uh, kind of right in the heart of uh, uh, units 3A, 3C. Um, lived here my whole life. Um, been hunting in these units since I was, uh, I think, the first elk hunt I went on with a with a, a friend of mine. I was 14 years old, so been chasing elk in uh, in unit 3A, uh, 3A and 3C since. Uh, oh shoot! What is that? 20 years now or so? Uh, a little longer than that. I'm I'm 40, so yeah. So going on, uh, what is that? 26 years now. So. And Daniel, um, like, what do you remember as a child growing up right there? I mean, what was some of the first hunts or first outings in 3C? I mean, I mean, was it you were so little you don't even really remember it? Uh, no, some of the first hunts that I can remember going on were, uh, believe it or not, mule deer hunts. Um, uh, I, I can remember the first elk I saw. Um, they just there weren't a lot of elk back then. This is in the early, kind of early to, to mid eighties. Um, mm-hmm. we had a lot more deer than elk and, and it seems like over time that has, has switched and, and, uh, kind of went the extreme, the, the opposite direction where we had, uh, way more elk and, and very few mule deer. And, and, you know, right now it kind of seems to have, have stabilized and, and balanced out where we've got a, kind of got a good, uh, population of both right now, but, yeah, I can remember the some of the, the first hunts we did a, a lot of archery deer hunting. Used to see a lot of deer, um, and like I said, very very few elk. And that's it's kind of crazy how it's it's changed over the years. Yeah, and Daniel, um, you're married. Uh, uh, how many kids do you have? And um, you've got a whole uh, whole uh, basketball team of of girls. Uh, uh, correct. Is this a trick question? i've uh yes i've been married now for uh going on 18 years uh i've got five girls and no boys and i credit that to my friendship with jay scott (laughs) and uh it's been uh it's been fun it's been interesting and uh now now the listeners know why i hunt so much because i have five girls at home plus my wife there you go i get as there you go woods as i possibly can yeah for sure. And uh, Mike Hancock, uh, give me a little background on you, where where you were born, where you live, where you spent most of your time, kids, etc. Yeah, Jay, a lot, lot of what's already been said. I'm uh, proud to be a native Arizonan for the last 46 years, born and raised in Snowflake, which is 30 miles west of Heber, just a little bit down off the Mogollon Rim, a little bit closer to the White Mountains. So I've... Uh, kind of cut my teeth, you know, maybe out east of Snowflake and back up towards Sholo and Vernon and, and hunting Unit 1 and a lot of time out here in Heber and Clay Springs and up along the Mogollon Rim. So uh, just born and bred and raised right here in the immediate area and don't plan on leaving anytime soon. Yep, and you've got a handful of kids yourself. How many do you have, Mike? Uh, my kids are married and raised and moved out. I've I've got a few years on Daniel. I'm the old man of the group. We you call, actually have some grandkids. <laughs> yeah, you actually got some grandkids, don't you? Good for you. Five grandchildren, four married children. Um, Devin, my uh, oldest son, guides a lot for us. Spends a lot of time in the woods. He's he's a, he's a clone of mine. You can definitely tell that. He spends as much time in the woods as we do. So love my grandkids, love my children. Um, they're kind of spread out all over, either going to college or 
or uh, living in the Midwest or in the Valley. So that's that's fantastic. Yeah, great family. I know both your families and, um, uh, you know, it's uh, just great to always be with you guys and see the family bond that you guys do have. Um, Awesome stuff. Guys, I want to dive a little bit into each unit, uh, 3C and, and Unit 1, uh, and, and let's start out with Unit 3C. Um, obviously, the Rodeo Chetiskai fire in, I guess it was, what, 01 or 02, um, has dramatically changed the landscape there. Uh, we used to hunt it... Uh, quite a bit and kind of most of my hunting it is uh, prior to the burn we've hunted a few times since but uh give me a little geographic lesson on the borders of unit uh and and for now let's mainly talk about uh 3a 3c but mainly where the elk inhabit all right well the uh the fire was in 02 so it's been about 13 years since the fire um 3c is is the primary unit for elk um there's just not a lot of elk in 3A. Um, grand, you know, vast majority of them are definitely in 3C. Uh, the 3C boundary is basically starting uh, starting at the little little town of, uh, of Forest Lakes, um, roughly running uh, down along Highway 260 through the middle of Heber, and then all the way to Sholo, um, and then from Sholo running down Highway 60 towards uh, the the Fort Apache Indian Reservation. And then uh, all the way along that Indian reservation to the west uh, until you uh, come all the way back over to where it actually uh, runs up against unit 23. Um, so it's kind of a long, uh, long, narrow unit. Um, it's uh, roughly got about 40, 45 miles of reservation that it that it borders through there. Um, Mainly on the south, right? Yeah. South and a little bit on the on the west and the south, but yeah. main the main line is on the south. Yeah, absolutely, mostly to the south. Um, at any any given spot, um, depending on where you're at in 3C on uh, on Highway 260, uh, you're anywhere from from two to I would say eight miles, probably at the most, uh, from the highway to the reservation boundary. So it's uh, you know north to south, it's not a not a very uh, wide unit, very very deep. But deep uh, yeah. sure covers uh-huh. a lot of a uh, lot of the reservation boundary on that uh, entire west side of the of the uh, Fort Apache. And um, what are you guys seeing? Uh, you know, right after the burn, kind of walk me through from from the burn after and kind of the, the transition period that the unit went through, and uh, y- you know what what the unit is now as, as far as terrain and and you know how how much of an effect the rodeo chetiskai fire had on the unit yeah most of 3c is is high ponderosa that that burned when it came up over the mogollon rim from the reservation and burnt down through um so most of our country that's burned probably 90 95 percent of it was ponderosa pine thickets and and whatnot it stopped about time it got to the transition between the pinyons and the cedars which you know is, is always some of our our most favored places to go hunt right at that transition and that burn did nothing to help it we did see after the fire the elk tend to stay up a little bit higher you know up up in that that new growth um vegetation that started directly after the fire i'll never forget the first year 
right after that burn, watching those elk walk across that moonscaped um, country with just black dust coming coming off of them. It was it was quite a sight there that first year, but just every year it progressed more and more, and, and that habitat improved as that uh that new growth grew up. Um, we really so. So in your mind, uh, Mike, uh, definitely the fire has done wonders for the elk in 3C? Oh, no no doubt. No question there. J- just the new growth and the browse that came back. A lot of uh, young oak has came back. A lot of young juniper. We're seeing a lot of that back. Not as much as the ponderosa, but, uh, you know, just that new growth. The elk, the turkey, and the mule deer really boomed there from year two probably through year six, it boomed really, really heavy as far as, uh, you know, just, just new country for them. And yeah. And, and so did, did the numbers of elk go up quite a bit because of the amount of feed and stuff that was now available? I, I think they did improve it. We definitely saw it in the turkey and the mule deer. Um, three C's always had a good number of elk, you know, if it wasn't for that reservation, I, I don't believe we could could have as good as hunting as we do, you know, that allows our bulls to go get, get, uh, get away from pressure and, and get a little age to them. And they always showed back up because it was back up on top of the rim. So, you know, they came back and, every year. We see bulls back year after year sometimes. And is it, is it, um, you guys' opinion that the cow elk, that there's a lot more resident cow elk that, that, that live in 3C, but that the bulls winter on the res and some are on the res, but then when the rut hits, they tend to show back up on, on top. Is that is that the general consensus? You are exactly correct. Quite a few resident cows will stick around in 3C. Um, bulls, this time of year, um, we find very few horns in 3C. Um, you know, they're down on that refuge. You can more or less call that, that reservation a refu- refuge, and then they'll all come up and rut. That, that's what makes 3C such a great rut unit. Yeah, I was going to ask you about that. Uh, as far as the bugling goes, once the fire came in, you know, in the last, whatever you said, 12 or 13 years, ha- has the bugling just gotten better and better uh, since the fire? You know, gee, I think it has. Um, we've still had a couple of, of down years. I know uh, you were up here in, in 09 with us. Um, 09 was a pretty tough year. Uh, the bulls just weren't very vocal. Um, last year seemed to, uh, to be kind of a similar situation, um, but a little different. They just acted like it was, it was a little bit late, about three weeks late. So it, it took them a little more to, to get going, um, to get to bugling. But yeah, typically, uh, since that fire three C is, it's kind of one of those units where it's, uh, I mean, it can be a bugle fest. You can go out and it's, it's very common in the morning to hear, you know, 200 bugles in the morning and, and bulls going crazy and, and, uh, you know, that reservation definitely helps. Um, so, yeah, it's, I would say absolutely. Off the top of your head, um, since the fire, which years uh, were more banner years and how much of that was a direct impact from moisture, uh, either being a winter moisture or early, early spring moisture, uh, what's your thoughts on that? What, what were the banner years that you can think of? Well, I'm not an expert at this, but, uh, I mean, undoubtedly you can look at, at, at 2006, 2007, 
um, 2008, those were, were by far the best years that, that 3C had for elk. Um, and to be honest with you, I think it was a culmination of a couple of things. I think, uh, I think the, the, a culmination of the feed that was coming in after the fire. Um, it was, it was producing feed at a, at a, at an optimal rate. It had, uh, the nutrients that they needed. Um, another thing that took place during that time was, um, the reservation, um, on that West side had, had discontinued their late hunts, their tribal late hunts. And, uh, so we had quite a few bulls that were able to return back to the res in the, uh, in the winter and, and, and spring and, and start to get some age on them. Um, plus those were three great years of moisture. I mean, there was, there was, in our opinion, there was, there was no drought at all. There was plenty of moisture. Um, there was plenty of feed. The bulls were finally getting some age. Um, and I mean, it, they just exploded. I mean, it was, it was, it was extremely common to go out in those three years, you know, in a morning or an evening and, and to three and to see a 380 type bull. Um, and what, what years are we talking about, Daniel? Uh, 2006 through 2008. Okay. Okay. Um, and, and those were, they were just great years. I mean, it, it's kind of odd that it coincides with, with the turkey as well. I know uh, you came up here and hunted with us uh, quite a few times and uh, you molested a few tur- turkeys up here during that time. The the turkeys. Had- I remember right <laughs> after the fire, I mean, it, if I remember right, they shut the unit down for a couple years, maybe, and then the turkeys just exploded. I mean, I, I remember mornings where you guys would say, "Oh yeah, we, you know, Mike went one way, Daniel went another," just just listening for birds in the tree, just just trying to roost, you know, listen to birds roosted, and you guys would come back and say, "Well, I heard 26, and I heard, you know, 32," and it's like, you know, that was insane. That that was the glory days of turkey. Yeah, uh, I mean, it was just absolutely phenomenal. Um, and, and, you know, and it was kind of in, in, uh, it kind of coincided with the elk, the, the turkey and the elk all seemed to boom in those, in that three year period, um, in three C. And I mean, it, it was just phenomenal. Would you guys say, uh, in general, if, if someone had a tag and they had an elk tag and, and, you know, let's say they didn't use burnt timber outfitters, they were just going to go on their own. A, a, a good general tip would be to stick to the areas that are burned if there's if there's areas that are not burned like you know some of the old traditional spots maybe north of the 260 uh that used to have elk prior to the burn is is a good rule of thumb to just stick in areas where it's burned uh, as far as for for numbers of elk yes it it's definitely seems that they've stayed up south of highway 260 in that burn country um yeah. it, it moseyed pretty heavy across the rodeo cheddar sky um and those bulls generally not long after daylight you know they're always moving towards those green trees the oak has now grown up so they'll stay out there a little bit longer you know we've got some some uh 10 or 12 foot oak trees and thickets that have grown up across here and we'll we'll catch those bulls out there you know six seven eight o'clock in the morning sometimes but for the most part you know they want to go to those green trees that's where they're they're bedding that's where they like to rub you know, I've never seen a, a bull rub on a on a burnt jack pine. You know, they're always going to go to those green jack pines or those those juniper trees and some of these oak, and they'll use them as to, to rub. So, yeah. Gotcha, gotcha. Now, I know um, you guys have had some of your own personal tags in 3C. Um, I know you guys have guided for some fantastic bulls. Um, 
why don't you kind of walk through, I mean, you don't have to tell me about every bull, but just maybe starting back however long and just kind of walk me through some of the caliber of bulls that you guys have got, both on the archery hunt, maybe the early rifle. Uh, I know they flip-flop early rifle muzzleloader. Uh, and maybe even tell me a little bit about some of your late hunt success or maybe save the late hunt till the end and, and tell me that. Can you go through some of the bulls, you know, give me some rough scores and just uh, how, how some of the different years the hunts went? Yeah, I'll, I'll start out with, uh, you know, again, those, those banner years that we hit, just year three, four, five, and six after the fire. Um, and, Jay, you were up here hunting with us. It was 2007, one hunt that comes to mind is uh, now a great friend of mine, old Mike Kadich, came up yeah. and, and hunted. And uh, I had to do everything I could do just to, to keep him off the hammer during those hunts, <laughs> carrying his muzzleloader almost for me. He won <laughs> multiple bulls. But uh, I, I asked him, just give me until Monday, give me four days, you know, to, to look for one of our three or four top bulls. And, and back then, you know, we were trying to hold out for – you know, we kind of always have a, a, a bottom of bottom number that we're looking for bulls, 370 or better. You know, and we were we were looking for solid 370, 380 type were our bottom ends. And uh, we'd scouted, probably had a handful, five or six bulls, all in a pretty close area. And uh, sure enough, Monday morning we we got on got on a bull. He ended up scoring 396 points. Um, killed him. I as a beautiful bull, absolutely. Well, um, I'm sorry I interrupt you, but yeah, that was a beautiful bull. Um, I, if I remember, I had a muzzleloader and shot him at fairly close range. Yeah, we we we, we got in the thick cedars, had some coyotes help us. Um, I didn't think we were. I figured he was going to bed. Um, some coyotes got to yipping within a couple hundred yards of us, and he walked out in one of our shooting lanes, gave us about a 75 yard wide open shot and, and Mike got a good shot on him. Uh, just a great hunt with a great guy, deserved the bull. Um, that same year we killed another 390, 393 bull with Daniel Archery and I'll let him go into that. That was, that was one of our, our greatest years as far as I'm concerned of, of killing a couple of real good giants right there together. Yeah. Uh, Daniel, tell me about that hunt and um, kind of when you had found that bull or kind of give me a, a little bit of the story behind it and, and getting on it and getting it shot and the whole thing. Um, well, that we had a little history with that bull. Um, we had actually nicknamed him, nicknamed him Twister um, because of the, the kind of unique twist he had at the end of his main beams. Um, we had actually found that bull in 06. Uh, Mike had a tag and we chased that bull um, for about 12 days. And uh, there was there was probably 20 bulls in that in that one pocket uh, with probably close to 100 cows. And every time we would try to work in on that bull, another bull would come in and, and flank us and we just we get get pinned down. Um, and it seemed like every time we zigged, that bull would zag. And and uh, for 12 days, we played cat and mouse. And uh, by the end of the season, he had won. And. Um, Somehow the very next year, which would have uh, which would have been 2007, um, I ended up drawing a tag, and uh, there were a number of bulls that we had had seen on Mike's hunt that I was kind of interested to try to relocate or find and see what they look like, um, and it just so happened that uh, about a week before the hunt started, a, a local kid uh, here in Heber had had gone out messing around with elk and had had got a little bit of uh, 
video footage of him and came to my house and showed it to me. And right away, I, I knew it was it was Twister. Um, so I went back in there a couple of days later and ended up uh, getting some phenomenal footage of him. Um, had him at under 50 yards for about 15 minutes. Um, and knew that that was a, a bull that we wanted to try to slip an arrow in. So uh, we went in there on opening morning, uh, got right on him um, by 6 o'clock, had already set up on him, had him walk by at 42 yards, and I shot, and uh, I missed. Um, I ended up hitting a branch and uh, deflected my arrow and missed him, and the bull ran off with his with his harem of cows, and we backed out, circled around, and, and kind of messed with him for – Oh, another couple of hours that morning and, and it finally decided to back out, let them bed. They were starting to bed. Um, and about that time, one of the cows decided to get up and move and she left and, and, uh, about three, 400 yards away, we heard, uh, heard him and another bull lock up and start to fight. So we ran up there as fast as we could trying to, trying to break him up because we didn't want him to get any broken points. And, uh, because he was a little preoccupied with that other bull, I, I slipped into to 50 yards and uh, this time made it count and uh, made a good pocket shot. And he went about 150 yards and uh, he was a, a heck of a bull, ended up scoring, uh, like Mike said, 393. And uh, and yeah, just a great year. Probably probably in our minds, the best year that 3C had was, was 2007. And was that the year then that you got another bull? Um on the muzzleloader hunt, that was a really good one, or was that the following year that seemed like there was another 390 that was killed in there somewhere that you guys got with the kind of a kicker off the fourth point? Yeah, that that was actually uh, in 08. Um, however, the 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 beginning of that story is uh, we actually had found that bull in 07 as well, um, and my father-in-law Chester had a muzzleloader tag. And that's the bull I remember I was with you, you on. You were with me, yes. And we, that's right. We ended up getting on that bull, and uh, he was in some thick cedar country, and we, we wouldn't bugle a whole lot, um, and finally got on him Monday morning and uh, had him at, at 88, uh, 88 yards uh, facing straight at us. Um, and I told my, my father-in-law not to, not to shoot, wait till he turned broadside. Um, and he finally, he started to walk away and he finally turned and, and stepped out broadside at about 130, 140 yards. Um, and, uh, my, my father-in-law shot and the bull immediately took off like he was hit. Um, but my father-in-law said, I, I shot high. And I said, what do you mean you shot high? And we had a little, you know, uh, father-in-law, son-in-law conversation. And, uh, <laughs> Anyways, the uh, the bull ran off. We went and, and trailed him. Never found any blood. Never never saw him again. Um, and and later that year, I think it was the second to the last day of the hunt, um, ended up shooting a, a three sixty bull uh, with his muzzle loader. So he was he was tickled. Um, and I remember all three of us, you, me, Mikey, and uh, and and Chester were all together, four of us um, on that hunt, if I remember correctly. And that was a real, that was a fun fun day for sure. That is correct. You were you were actually able to capture that hunt on uh, film, and and uh, yeah, great hunt, great memories. Um, and then it was that bull the next year um, that I had uh, had had guided a client to um, Mike Barron. Uh, we found him the next year uh, in 2008 uh, with an early rifle tag, and and he was able to harvest him on the third day. And uh, the uh, the irony there is uh, 
I had kind of grilled my father-in-law about, man, where did you shoot that, you know, the big bull? Where did you shoot? And he's like, well, I know I was a little bit high, but I was right on his shoulder. Well, the next year when we finally got him killed, uh, there was a perfectly round 50 caliber muzzleloader bullet right through his, which would have been the elk's right ear, which would have been right over the top of his shoulder when uh, when my father-in-law <laughs> had shot at that bull. So uh, he, had, he had pierced his ear, but... Uh, uh, luckily for Mike Barron, uh, that was all he did, and, and he was able to harvest him, and, and that bull ended up going 396. Wow, that's fantastic. Yeah, the the quality of bulls. Uh, now, tell me what it's been like the last couple of years. I know the unit, I think they've increased the tags a little bit, and we've had, it's been a little bit droughty. I know you've shot a handful of you know, 370, 380 type bulls between then. The last couple years, uh, what's been going on in the unit, or are there others that are standing out that you need to tell me about? Uh, you know, over the last couple of years, um, you know, we've definitely seen the the quality slip in 3C uh, since about 2008. Um, you know, it's it's still a great unit, um, but it's definitely not the uh, the caliber or the quality that it used to be. Um, I think since then we we killed a 380 bull in 2010, uh, 370 bull archery in 2010. Um, 2011 was was a pretty good year, but but kind of a tough year uh, for us for our archery hunters. We had uh, quite a few missed opportunities. Um, Last year was, like I mentioned earlier, last year was a pretty tough year. They just, it seemed like they were about three weeks behind on the rut. Uh, everything kind of started out really slow. Um, I can honestly tell you the best morning of elk hunting uh, I had in 3C last year was four days after the early rifle hunt had ended. Uh, I went out with my video camera and a, a nephew and my daughter and just went out to, to mess around with elk and, and got on 10 different bulls and they were going good and, and called in some bulls and and uh, got some really good footage, but uh, unfortunately the hunt was over. Um, but we did uh, we did manage last year to kill a, a pretty good bull. We had a um, Allen from Pennsylvania uh, had an early rifle tag, and uh, last year on the fifth day he was able to harvest a 375 bull. So um, nice. there, there are still some good bulls in the unit. Um, they're definitely um, a little harder to find, um, but. Uh, you know, realistically, like archery hunting, uh, you know, what are you looking at realistic expectations for quality of, uh, you know, you see in a lot of 300 to 340 type bulls and, you know, handfuls in the 350s, maybe a few 360 and maybe, you know, one better or what kind of quality are we seeing there? Yeah, I, I would agree with that. Um, you know, 3C, you're weeding through a lot of uh, 300 to three. 20 330 type bulls um there's there's a handful of 350 bulls i can think of uh i can think of about six or seven bulls last year um that i saw over 350 a uh, couple in that 360 um or a little bit better range uh the, the bull we end up killing like i said 375 so um you know typically on an archery hunt um we won't chase a bull unless he's in that 350 range or better um, so there'll, you know, there'll be days where, where we look through five or six, seven bulls and, and, you know, they're in that 320 to, to 340 type range and, and we keep looking, you know, until we, till we find the, the type of bull that we want to go after. So, um, you know, occasionally there's a, there's a bull that pops up uh, a couple of years ago. I filmed a bull, 
uh, right at the end of the of the early hunts, right at the end of the early rifle hunt that uh, that we kind of had guessed right there in the uh, in the low to, to mid three nineties. Um, last year, he actually ended up getting killed on the archery hunt, the first day of the archery hunt, uh, by another uh, local guy here from Heber, um, and uh, ended up going three eighty eight. So, you know there. There are still those types of bulls in the unit. Um, they're they're kind of few and far between, um, but it's it's you know pretty realistically um, you know we're chasing 350 type bulls uh, and better, and that's what our our goal is to try to harvest uh, during those archery hunts, and then of course it it steps up a little from there with uh, with a rifle in hand. So yeah, and um, just in general, the late hunts uh, pretty tough. Uh, what's what's kind of uh, the the average type bulls you guys have been shooting on those uh, 3C late hunts? 3C late hunts, um, you know, the bulls are right there on the verge of, uh, you know, wanting to move back onto the, the reservation. You know, we do have some good spots that, you know, we've managed to keep secret enough. And and, and I, and I might have already said too much, but, uh, you know, we're looking for bulls in the 320, 320-plus type bulls. You know, it's tough to find them that time of year where they're not broke up. Um, this year, for instance, um, we we had to hunt four or five days, but, you know, finally got settled on a on a, on a good solid 325, you know, 330 type bull. I like to call them that notch up. You know, they're, they're not fine horned, you know, probably a good four year old, got a little bit of mass to him. Uh, but, you know, we, we, we sit in the three, we try to tell people 310 to 330, you know, are the types of bulls that we're looking for. Sure, sure. You know, I think one of the things that's fun uh, having turkey hunted and and uh, having gone up there and ran around with you guys looking for elk. Uh, one of the things that's fun for me is you know two guys like yourself, born and raised there. I mean, the idea of having a map uh, is unheard of, and you know most people say, well, what do you mean you don't have a map? I mean, but. It, you know, you guys have sent me on, you know, go here to this stump, and when you get to this stump that's got, you know, one arm on the left side, immediately turn and walk 300 yards to your left, go listen in that canyon, and there'll be a bird down there on the right, and, you know, tell me about local knowledge, and, you know, in a unit like 3C, what does that mean to literally know the whole unit like the back of your hand? Well, contrary to popular belief of Jay Scott, um, we actually don't know the entire unit like the back of our hand. Um, believe it or not, um, you know, I, as far as I'm concerned, I continue to learn, you know, new country every year. Little little tidbit here, or, you know, a little canyon there, or a little feeder draw here. So I know you you think that we're uh, we're we're pretty uh, photogenic. Uh, well, I just think it's amazing. I'm like, yeah, I struck a bird down there. And you're like, is there a little skid trail on your left? I'm like, yeah. And you're like, is there a little three jack pines up there on that little? I'm just like, can I go anywhere that you haven't been? <laughs> but you're being you're being modest. Um, well, how much does the local knowledge, though, play in your success? Well, to be brutally honest with you, it's it's huge. Um because you know, a lot of times, um, you know, three three C is not a not a huge unit. Um, in fact, as far as the elk units are concerned, um, kind of the premium elk units are concerned, it's probably one of the smallest. Um, 
And, uh, you know, previously the last few years, there's been 150 archery bull tags and, you know, it's, it's pretty common in 3C to run into other hunters. Um, and having that local knowledge, I think is, is huge because that, that gives us a chance to get away from the other hunters. You know, it's, it's hard enough to beat an elk at his, at his own game in nature. Um, when it's one-on-one and when it's, it's you against him and four other hunters, it, it virtually makes it impossible. So, um, I, I think it's huge, you know, um, that's one thing that, uh, I, I guided a guy last year on the archery elk hunt from, uh, Oregon. And, uh, that's one thing that he kind of made, uh, mention of or, or comment of in 13 days of, uh, of archery hunting. Uh, we never once ran into an individual in the woods. We'd see, you know, hunters driving down the main roads, but when we were out on foot chasing bulls, uh, hunting elk, um, we never saw another hunter. Um, and that's, wow. that's, that's where the local knowledge comes in. That, that's where we can get away from people. We know where to go. We know where the elk are going to go typically. Um, and so it's, it's, you know, it's easier to get away from people, um, that don't know the unit because they, they don't live up here. Um, so I, I would say it's huge. I would say it's 100%, you know, absolutely huge. There's, I, I can think of a lot of bulls that if it wasn't for that local knowledge and, and knowing the, the area and the pocket of trees that the bulls are, are bedding in and where they're going and, and, you know, the, the little, the little burn pocket that they're feeding in before dark, before they, before they walk out into the open meadow, you know, it, it's the little stuff like that, that, that has, you know, been huge to our success. So I've got this ball teed up really high and it, it, I just, I, I've got to do it. And so forgive me, but, uh, so in 2004, a couple of yuppies from Scottsdale come rolling up there, and uh, if I remember right, that's the year we met. And um, speaking of not having a whole lot of no- local knowledge, a couple of yuppies from Scottsdale rolled up there, and if I remember correctly, we we uh, happened to fall smack dab right in the middle of a big old giant bull up there. Yeah. What do you say about I'm, that? I'm pretty sure that a blind squirrel can find a nut every now and then. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I knew something good was coming. Oh, back. you knew it. Um, um you know, I will, I will say what? this. Um, I, I have never met anybody that can find big bulls like Dark Holbert. That guy has a knack for finding big bulls. And I think the funny thing about that is is you're exactly right, and I think the funny thing about that is he found that bull in the archery hunt, and I actually was on a personal hunt of mine, uh, and I had just got off that, and then a friend of mine had the tag, and Dar had found that bull, and a friend of mine had the tag, and you know during the archery season, and uh, Dar had an early rifle hunter, uh, and I actually had an early rifle hunter too in 3C that year, and and um i kept begging him to let me take my friend in there and go after that bull and to his credit he said you know i found him and and uh i'm guiding for my client and i want my client to get that bull and and danged if uh he didn't go in there five times and that that dang bull he saw him every time and very rare for a bull to really stay in a pocket like that and and they they got it done on opening day and he 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 turned out to be a real nice bull, but um, a real nice ha- bull. 
I I had to bust uh, your chops a, there a little bit. A real nice bull. Yeah. To my knowledge, but, that is still the largest bull to come out of three C ever. Well, um, like you said, uh, blind. What is it? Even a blind squirrel can find a nut every now and then. Uh, I, I will say that was a great year because we got to meet both of you guys, and uh, we've had a great friendship ever since then. And uh, you know, you're being humble when you when you talk about your local knowledge. I, I truly uh, never ceases to amaze me with both of you how. You know, you don't talk about a place on road number. You don't talk about it. You talk about it like, hey, yeah, remember where we killed that bull there and we killed that turkey over there and that's where we shot that, you know, that's where we shot that bear and, you know, that's where the, co- you know, three coyotes came in. There's always a story with every ridge and um, so that's, you know, hats off to you guys for, uh, you know, spending your time and learning that unit. Um Let's shift gears a little bit and move over to Unit 1 and uh, give me a little bit of geography lesson in Unit 1. Uh, we're going to be talking primarily about the elk in Unit 1, um, but uh, give me the boundaries uh, first of all. all right. The boundaries for Unit 1 will begin on Highway 260 there at Vernon. Um, again, it borders the Fort Apache a lot like 3C. We have been primarily hunting 3C for... Oh, most of our lives, but here in the last four or five years, I've kind of been been able to fortunate enough to book some some clients over in Unit One, and we we've done really well in Unit One over on the Wallow Fire, another very large fire that took place. I believe we're in year number five in um, on the Wallow Fire. But uh, and, and Mike, did that? Uh, sorry to interrupt, but uh, you know, for the listeners out there that don't know Unit One. Unit 1 was made up of a lot of Cienegas and pretty open parks, but then a lot of pretty thick blue spruce and, and pretty thick trees. Has it really opened that unit up? Jay, the fire primarily stayed over on the eastern eastern half of that. The Escadilla Wilderness uh, okay. pretty much burned completely up. Um, it got its name from Bear Wallow, so it started up pretty high up west of Hannigan Meadow and, and ultimately burned all the way down to the flats. The country gotcha. down around Springerville, Eager. Um, you still have a lot of that country up around Greens Peak that uh, still has the Senecas and the, uh, you know, the spruce up there, the pretty thick stuff um, that that still covers that unit. Unit one, it is a it's a really large unit. Um, I'm going to say and, and go ahead. Yeah, and back to the geography of it. Go go right into the geography with it. Then uh, talking about how big it is. It. it it runs, it begins in Vernon, Arizona, which is about 15 miles east of Sholo, and it runs all the way to the New Mexico state border. Um, virtually the whole southern section of that unit, once you get over to Hannigan Meadow and get into uh, Black River and the, the Unit 27 boundary, um, is it's all bordered by the Fort Apache. So you've got that refuge up there where where a large number, there's there's more elk in Unit 1 than there. Definitely is in 3C. Um, again, Seneca's open grass country, flat countries, that grama grass that those elk, you know, transition down into the pinyon cedar. There's a lot of that country in, in Unit 1. Um, just a great unit. It it hasn't boomed quite like 3C did as far as the, uh, the elk numbers go. They, they did the same thing in um, Unit 1 that they did in 3C. They ramped the tags up. But uh, 
you know, geographic. And, and Mike, they didn't actually uh, they didn't actually lay off any or didn't they go right into uh, 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 issuing tags right away? And, and, you know, it seems like they haven't given it a lot of break. You are correct. Unit 3C, we transitioned. I remember starting out with 50 tags on the late hunt, and they would, would ramp it up uh, 25 or 50 tags every year, you know, up, up until we pretty much got up to 250, 300 on the late hunt. But Unit 1, I guess they'd kind of learned their lesson in 3C and went about it, you know, had, had a little different uh, mentality, a little different thinking there. Worried about the big boom that was going to come after that fire and that that new uh, vegetation growth that was coming, and they just pretty much ramped the tags right up. Gotcha. And um, so I, I I think you've got uh, Unit One bordered on the east in New Mexico, uh, the west on the White Mountain Apache, uh, the north up there uh, on the highway north of Vernon, and then the south is all along the Black River. Is that correct? Yeah, pr- yeah, pretty close. Yeah, you're, you're- and and uh, in your mind the the hunting, as far as actual hunting, is it better or worse uh, for, say, archery elk or that early rifle hunt uh, after the fire or before? Oh, it's it's outstanding after. You know, we, we've cut our teeth over here killing some great bulls in these burns, and, and I go straight to that burn, burned-out ponderosas and burned-out quakey aspens um, country, and, uh, you know, the elk are there. They're there in in, in big groups, the late hunts really good. The early hunts, a lot of bugling action, a lot of bulls in the 300 to 330. And, you know, last year I probably saw eight to 10 bulls, 375 plus that, that we left. Um, yeah, not, not, a, not as, it's not a affected as bad from the drought. It's got a lot of high, high country and a, and a lot more water up there, it seems too. So, Mike, what's your forecast uh, for 2015? Is is it a real positive forecast there in Unit One? Oh yes, I uh, like I said, I left a lot of bulls there. You know, it's kind of a it's good in ways, but it's bad that I didn't get them killed. Um, archery, my archery hunter last year actually missed a a straight inline eight by eight that was uh, you know 380 plus. We we worked our tails off and finally got a shot on on day seven. And uh, just things things didn't quite come together. Um, a lot of bulls left left over that carried over that I know didn't get killed. So I, I'm I'm real optimistic that uh you know with the moisture that's came this year the we're in year five or six of that fire it's going to keep keep producing some really good bulls over there in unit one. And Mike, are you seeing uh, when the rut really gets kicking over there um, the elk rut? I mean. Do some of those big bulls pile off the reservation and just go charging out there and looking for cows all over? You know, they'll they'll go for miles looking for them, won't they? Well, yeah, yeah, you're you're correct. There's a lot of resident bulls in Unit One. Um, actually, the the southern end of that unit that's all on the Fort Apache, it's really high. It's it's Baldy Wilderness area. You know, it's got a lot of eight thousand um, plus feet elevation. So Unit One carries a lot of resident bulls, um, but you know, during the rut, they do come off the reservation. Those those bulls that are living in those steep, dark, timbered canyons, you know, come out and start chasing those cows in the Senecas or, you know, working those burned ridges, and, and they're pretty visible. They're definitely visible in that unit right now. 
Are the elk antlers um, noticeably different colored in Unit 1 compared to Unit 3C? Yeah, we see a lot of light-colored bulls in 3C. Um, again, ponderosa, juniper, and oak is what they're what they're ultimately rubbing over here. You get over in Unit 1, and you got a lot of that spruce and, uh, and ponderosa, and you'll see those really dark-colored. We've killed some really beautiful, just almost black horns with those ivory tips there. Beautiful that time of year. And you've had some real good success the last few years. Um, Mike, uh, tell me about a couple of the bulls, uh, you know, size-wise, inches, and, and what have you. Well, year before last, um, you know, I, uh, my family finally struck a little little bit of luck. I had two sons that drew that unit. Um, Dane, my youngest, who was 21, drew that tag during the archery hunt. And... Uh, Again, the rut started out a little bit slow, but we had 20 or 30 bulls working two or three different ridges, and and uh, I believe on day three, he killed a 385-inch, just massive, he was even short beamed, but just really long points and, a, and just a gorgeous bull. Um, he wasn't even hardly rutting yet, but uh, that hunt really sticks out in my mind, and that same year, my boy drew, uh, my second boy drew a early rifle tag in Unit 1. And uh, we killed a bull that my archery client was was uh, under 50 yards two different times, and we and couldn't get the job done. And we ended up killing him on the rifle hunt. And he went 376. So two great nice. bulls, you know. Both, you know, they add a little bit more. They they were finally a bull that I could take home, you know, keep in my in my family. So th those hunts are you know memories that that we talk about all the time. They're there, one of them's mounted currently in my house, and the other one's being mounted this year. So, it's great memories, both from Unit One. They both happen to just be, you know, my son's tags. Yeah, that's awesome, uh, Mike. Uh, every day chasing bulls in there with the 300 tags. Uh, can you get away from some people, or are you kind of dealing with people uh, on every hunt session? You know, year before last, Jay, I. You know, knowing the units and being able to spend most of the summers up there and, and getting more of these uh, Septembers under under my belt, um, we're, we're finding places to get away from them and still find these, you know, find these great bulls. There's some walking areas that uh, we're, we're not seeing anybody on. Year before last, I was in an area, there wasn't anybody there, and this year I go back and um, a handlebar bull happens to be there, and I'm I'm just battling with half the guides in eastern Arizona over that bull and we spent three or four days chasing all chasing the same bulls till you know I decided to move to to my other hole so uh you know you you can still if you're willing to work get off in some of those canyons and you know you're mobile you can still get away from some of those folks yeah yeah that's great uh guys I want to talk a little bit of um I want to talk a little bit about gear um as far as you know, what kind of optics are you guys using? Uh, what are your preferences for, you know, what do you always have around your neck? Kind of give me a rundown of, of you know, what your gear list is. Uh, you know, tripod, no tripod, you know, hand holding, uh, you know, spotting scopes, or you go with big binos, or you go with tens, or what's your, what, what's your uh, fancy there? You know, we don't... Uh... We don't leave the truck without a pair of tens around our neck. Uh, both of us are packing a pair of ten Swarovskis. Um, they 
like I said, we don't leave our truck with, it's like the, our American Express card. We don't leave home without them. Uh, <laughs> now, now in the earlier, you know, the late summer, the the early scouting, um, we'll we'll tripod up. Uh, a lot of times we'll be using spotting scopes and you know long glasses. Um, we're kind of uh, we're 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 pretty partial to the uh, the the Austrian optics, the Swarovski optics. So we uh, we've got the tens and the fifteens and the spotting scopes. Um, but typically on a, on a, you know, like an archery elk hunt, um, in unit one, um, if we have spotters on a, on a hill, uh, um, then they'll probably be behind 15s with the spotting scope close by. Um, but when we're, when we're down on the ground and we're chasing bugles and then, uh, it, it, it's primarily tens. Um, yeah. you know, I, and, and are you guys, um, are you guys, are your hunters use, what's the trend with your hunters? Are they using their own range finder and doing their own ranges or are you shooting ranges for them? You know, it, it ultimately depends on, on the setup and the situation. Um, we're packing our range finders with us. Um, every time, same thing, every time we leave the truck. Um, if, if we can be right there, we, we prefer to be right next to our hunters, um, for, for a couple of reasons. Um, number one, to give them uh, give them a range, give them a distance. Um, number two, telling them when to draw, when to, when to move, when to position, when to raise their bows. Um, and ultimately which bull to shoot and which bull not to shoot. Um, you know, it just seems all, all too often, um, you know, guides will, will throw their hunter 40, 50, 60 yards out in front of them and back up and start calling. And, uh, and a 320 bull comes running up and, and their, their hunter shoots it. And, and, you know, that, you know, our, our clients are paying us for a reason. Um, you know, it, it's our local knowledge. It's our, it's our elk hunting know-how and it's our ability to, to field judge animals. So, you know, by, by setting them in a tree 60 yards in front of us, there's absolutely no way to communicate with them. Um, we can't tell them, you know, if that's a shooter bull or not. Um, and, uh, you know, there's just, you know, way, way too many times people get caught up in the moment and think a bull's bigger than it is and, and shoot it. And that's, that's one thing that uh, has been vital to our success as well is we we try to get right in our hunter's back pocket on our setups and and uh, be able to range for them and tell them when to draw and yep that's a shooter nope that's not a shooter. And Daniel, speaking of shooter, um, you know, in your mind, what's the most important uh, thing that you guys are looking for when you're when you're looking for that shooter bull? Let's just say it's a normal year. Um, what are you looking for as far as, you know, uh, mass, width, point length, main beam, what in your mind is most important and maybe walk me through a little bit of some of your, um, you know, things that in your mind, your, your checklist in your mind, that's determining whether it's, it's, it's a bull you want to shoot or not. Um, well, I think the first, first and foremost, the first thing I look at is the frame size, um. A lot of times, you know, the, the, the width, the height, the, just the overall frame size of a bull, you know, tells me if, if he's worth a, a second look or not. Um, if, if he's got the, you know, the big frame, um, I, I'm a back-end guy, I'll be honest. I, I like a big back-end. Um, and so initially I gravitate towards the back-end. I'm looking at the, at, at the G4s and the G5s. Uh, and the length of the beam after the G5, um, and if there's any extras. Um, so that's the first thing that I look at. If he's got a if he's got a big back end, if he's got uh, if he's got a long 
uh, sword point long royals, and he's got uh, solid fifths uh, with a you know a lot of beam behind it. Then I then I immediately jump to the eye guards um, to see what you know what he's got on the bottom end. What you know how long are his eye guards? Are they are they all kind of relatively even, or is one short and his two's long? Um, and and then from there you know get a get a peek at his thirds and and depending on what the rest of them looks like that kind of you know determines to me if he's a if he's, if he's a shooter or not a shooter and are you guys um when you're looking at the fourths and fifths i mean the distance say from the fifth point to the tip of the main beam where the fifth you know the fifth g5 comes off the beam do you want those to be equal? Do you want the, the, the whale tail, so to speak, to be longer? I mean, what do you kind of, you know, are you looking for 14, 15-inch G5s? What are you looking for, you know, say 360, you know, type of bull? Or, you know, what's your what's your number that you go, oh, those are good fives or those are good fours? What's your, what's your kind of your benchmarks? You know, we're, we're, we're trying to find something in that 20-inch G4 range, Um you can get a, a G4 that's that's 20 or, or close to 20, you know, 19, um, even even sometimes a good strong 18, um, and then something in that, you know, 14 to 15 inch G5, you know, and anything over that is, you know, great, you know, and then if he's got as much much beam behind the fifth as as his fifth is long, then you know you've got, you know, you've got 14, 15, 16, maybe 18 inches of main beam uh, behind the G5, so. Um, you know, that's, you know, to me, that's a pretty strong back end. And that's, you know, definitely worth seeing, you know, what else he's got on the bottom and, and how his thirds and, you know, mass and, and everything else. But what I'm hearing from you, um, and Mike, you can chime in too, is it's, and and I totally agree, it's all about point length, would you agree? I mean, uh, you can have a massive bull, you can have a wide bull, and, and of course, main beam is probably the second, but it's all... It's all about point length, and so from what I'm hearing you saying is that's what you're first looking at. You're looking at the frame, but then you're you're looking at point length. Yeah, de- definitely. Well, uh, Daniel hit the nail on the head of how we judge. Um, when we move down to those eye guards, you know, we've always gauged at the end of that nose of that bull is, is you know approximately 18 inches. So we're kind of comparing him his bottom end to the end of his nose and how much curl he might have. You know, the thirds are always a little tricky. A lot of them can lay way out, and you can gain a lot of length there. One more thing that we'll look at is how how closely they're packed in there, how closely is third, fourth, and fifth. If there's only six inches between them, you know, you can be fooled on a whale tail, and you'll kill a bull that's got 48, 50-inch yeah, short beams. Yeah, you know, we're looking yeah, I, I- I think that's a great tip for the listeners out there um, anytime they're looking at bulls, exactly what Mike said. And even when you're dealing with, you know, seven and eight points per side, would you agree, Mike? You still want to have some good spacing between the points. If you see stuff starting to get bunched up, uh, that's usually a real good indication that uh, your your beam might not be as long as you think. Yeah, you're correct. You know, another thing that we've noticed is is, you know, just by knowing the unit that you hunt, we we can guess three C bulls, you know, they're going to average a good solid mature bull is going to average between 48 and 54 inch beams, you know, and then when you notice a bull with a big well tail, you know, you're going to plan on him being 50, 55 plus inch main beams, which is, that's a really good main beam on a bull. I move over yeah. to unit one and their main beams aren't quite as, they're, they're, they're put together. There's a little bit different genetics over there that I see in unit one. 
I don't. They have quite a bit more mass, don't they, yes. Mike? They're not. They're not quite as whale whale taily. They're kind of more massive, um, and the points tend to maybe look a little shorter because they carry a bit more mass. You you are hitting the nail on the head right there. Okay. Good stuff. Um, good stuff. And the late hunts in in unit one, uh, Mike. Uh, Pretty good late hunts over there. I know you guys have had some success uh, quite, seeing quite a few bulls on those late hunts. Oh, the the late hunts over there, you get a little bit of snow on the ground. You know, we've got our, our holes we keep going back to, and I'm sure they're just the same big groups of elk. They'll, they'll winter herd up, and we'll see oh, 150 to 250 head a day glassing. Um, you know, anywhere from 5 to, you know, 15 bulls in a day. Um, we notch it up a little bit over there in unit one. You know, we're looking looking for those bulls in the 330 to 350 type, and and you know you can you can go deep and and come sneaking up in a hole and 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 just find a, a phenomenal bull, a, a bomber bull, you know, who's who's holed up in one of those canyons over there. So uh, great late unit hunt, a lot of bulls, a lot of elk, a lot of visibility. You can get up in glass and uh, see a lot of country. So uh, late hunts are really good in unit one. That's awesome. That's awesome. Well, guys, it's been fantastic. Uh, I know I'm going to bend your ear here uh, later on this summer and get an update from you and find out how these bulls are doing in the velvet. And sounds like both of you uh, feel like uh, this year with what we've got moisture wise is uh, going to be better than last year. Would you both both agree with with the indicators that we have now that we're going to have a better year? Is that where we're at? Absolutely. Absolutely. That's great. That's great news. Uh, always makes uh, good for good optimistic springs and summers. And uh, we'll just hope that we keep continuing to get storms here. And, um, you know, maybe we could turn into a banner year. I, I know we haven't had banner snowfall, but I think a lot of times timing of the storm is, is every bit as important as, you know, total precipitation, so to speak. Well, and, and I can tell you, we've had more rain this winter than we've than we've had in a long time. So, um, and, and a lot of good soaking rains. You know, it just drizzles all day. Kind of feels like we're in Portland, Oregon, where where we get just a good drizzle all day long. It saturates the ground. Um, yeah, I think as far as moisture goes, you know, it's. I think we're shaping up to be a great year. That's fantastic. Uh, it uh, it's going to be great to see how you guys do this year. And uh, like I said, I want to bend your ear here in another uh, couple months, check in with you, see how our bulls are doing up there. And uh, guys, why don't you tell me how uh, my listeners can find you? Uh, give me your different, I know, Facebook and, and websites and, and all. Give me all of that, please. Um, well, probably the easiest way to find us is through our website, uh, which, okay. is, which is www.burnttimberoutfitters.com. Dot com. Um, that's got Great. all of our contact information, uh, emails, cell phone numbers, um, pictures, videos, uh, rate. It, it's pretty much got everything on there. Um, talks a little bit about, you know, the units that we hunt, the area that we hunt uh, up along the Mogollon Rim in the White Mountains. Um, loaded with with pictures of, uh, you know, elk, mule deer, uh, antelope, you know, coyotes. We we do a lot of coyote hunting and, and turkey hunting and it's kind of got a mixture of everything so um that that's probably our our best way um great we, we're both on facebook as well uh, mike hancock and daniel franco um those are 
we don't get on there quite as uh quite as often because we're uh typically a little busier out in the woods so the website and emails uh phone number is definitely the best way to get a hold of us sounds great uh guys uh i would like to end with uh Daniel, you mentioned your father-in-law, Chester Crandall, and, and I, I just feel like I couldn't end this uh, conversation. Uh, you know, your father-in-law was someone to me that I really looked up to. I had the fortune of uh, being with you guys on, on his muzzleloader hunt uh, two different times. I believe he had a muzzleloader and an early rifle hunt and got to spend time with him up on the Arizona Strip and um, state senator. Uh, just a, a fantastic family man, uh, piles of grandchildren, <laughs> uh, you know, piles of kids, piles of friends. Uh, and uh, we lost him uh, this last year. And I just want to say uh, to you guys, I know both of you, Daniel, obviously, being your father-in-law, and I know, Mikey, you're, you're very close to Chester. And, uh, you know, he was a heck of a man. And, you know, if we could all three be half the man that he was, uh, you know, we'd be doing really good. So I just wanted to say that and obviously condolences for his passing. But he's sure left a legacy uh, for all of us to follow, a, 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 you know, a, a family man, uh, not a guy that's afraid to stand up for what he believes in, uh, not, a, not afraid to, to walk a line and uh, hold that line. And I just got to say, the times that we had with them, uh, I cherish those. And, uh, you know, I think it cemented our friendship even more. And I just appreciate you guys being on with me. And uh, this has been great and look forward to speaking with you guys again. And uh, keep up your great work with all your families and uh, being the great guys that you are. And, and uh, we'll see you down the road. And uh, I know my listeners are going to enjoy this episode. So, Congrats to you guys and all your success, and uh, down the road, uh, look forward to speaking with you again. All right. Thank you, Jay. We appreciate it. All right, guys. Take care. Take care. Thank you, Jay. Well, that was great to get to spend some time with good friends, Daniel Franco and Mike Hancock of uh, Burnt Timber Outfitters. Uh, just amazing guys. Uh, very, very good hunters. Uh, very good outfitter. Uh, if you get a tag up in that uh, neck of the woods, up in those units, uh, definitely give them a call. And um, uh, they're just uh, fantastic guys, salt of the earth type of guys. I want to thank them for being on the show. I want to thank you, my listeners, uh, for tuning in. And uh, really appreciate the feedback and the comments, uh, getting some great stuff uh online on facebook uh instagram just some real good feedback to the show uh remember if you have any questions comments or people that you'd like me to talk with or things that you want me to go over on these uh podcast episodes uh email me at jscottoutdoors at gmail.com and i'll be happy to uh uh, go over your questions, comments, and what have you. Uh, follow along at jscottoutdoors.com. Uh, we've got a YouTube channel, J. Scott Outdoors. I believe we have uh, over a million two or so in views and uh, 1,250 or so subscribers uh, that, that uh, is increasing daily. 
Um, we're going to be covering all our hunts. Uh, we have past hunts on there, a lot of how-tos, uh, a lot of good stuff. Uh, also on Instagram, uh, J. Scott Outdoors. Just uh, thanks for your support. And if you like what you're hearing, uh, we could use all the support on iTunes with uh, five-star ratings. If you don't mind taking a little bit of time and giving us, uh, giving us uh, some good ratings, reviews. Uh, leaving some good positive comments and feedback there uh, that helps our standings with iTunes and our placement and I just want to thank you guys for tuning in and until next time God bless <music>